0: Well, I get really excited this time of year because every passing Sunday gets me one Sunday closer to opening the gifts you guys are getting for me. I can't wait. I can't only imagine what it must be like to be you. I mean, you love me so much, and there's just all these things running through your mind. Well, I could get him this, and I could get him that, and you're probably right. But uh, I heard there were some meetings this week after last week, people getting together to get one huge gift. You know, should we get them a cruise? I don't know. I, I don't. That's just rumor. But, you know, if you really want to know what I want this year for Christmas, I want a carbon action red rider BB gun with a thing that tells compass in the stock. And Go ahead. Thank you. Pam, I'm waiting for you now. Thank you. All right. Actually, I don't need one of those because I have three. I have three of them in the basement. The reason we have them is for our men's ministry. It's because that's what we do when we get together as men. We shoot BB guns. Yeah, yeah. And we, uh, we, we, we can't use like real high-powered BB guns because, because our injury rate in our men's ministry is so high as it is that even with the Red Riders, I remember one year my son Brian and I were standing right here, the chairs were cleared out, and we had our BB gun station set up over here, and guys are taking turns shooting cans and stuff, you know, and we were standing, Brian and I were standing right here just kind of waiting our turn or watching or something, and boom, and a BB went right between us, like, whew, and we both saw it, and we both looked at it, did you just see a BB go? I don't know how many churches actually in Grove City, or Columbus maybe even, that You can go to where it's possible you'll find a BB on the floor in here somewhere, right? So we're getting close. We're getting close. So don't tell me what you're going to get me because I I like the surprise, okay? BBs? You told me. Stop. I like the surprise. How many of you when you were growing up, listen, I mean, I was thinking about our Christmases when I was a kid quite a while ago now. And uh, I was thinking about some of the home movies that I saw of us. Who knows what I'm talking about, right? My dad had, a, had an 8 millimeter movie camera that you wound up. You, you know what I'm talking about? You cranked up, right? Yeah, you cranked up. You went, and there's a little thing on the front. Right? Yeah. And when I look at our home movie ca- movies from Christmas, here's what we look like. We look like moles coming out into the light. How, how many of your dads had that that big light bar with the four big floodlights? Look around, see? And they've, it plugged in. It was 110 with four big floodlights. And, and so all of the movies inside look like that. Like, yeah, what, Dad? Who knows what I'm talking about? Don't spoil Christmas for me. Don't tell me what you're getting. But I'm going to spoil yours. Rob and I are committed to spoiling your Christmas. Because prepare to gasp, we've been reading our Bibles. I know. Dangerous thing when a pastor reads the Bible, right? And we have discovered in that Bible what it is that God's going to give you for Christmas. We know. And we're going to tell you one week at a time. And we're going to do it by way of this Advent wreath, which, as I mentioned last week, is substantially more formal than we usually are. But I just love it. I just love it. It's so simple, really, isn't it? It's not exactly high church, is it, to have four candles in a circle? (laughs) I just love it that, you know, each one of these candles has a sense of symbolism, not just for us, but for churches all around. Churches, you know, all kinds of people are pulling up into parking lots, making their way through the snow, and getting into their churches, and lots of churches are doing exactly the same thing. I love it when the church does the same thing, when we're all united, right? And we do this in our own way. You know, I'm not going to put on any special clothes. We're not going to have any little specially dressed acolytes come up. I mean, that's fine for someone, but it wouldn't be right for us, right? But nonetheless, we've got this this opportunity to think about the significance of each one of these. in addition to that God wants to give you hope from last year, last week, that God wants to give you hope, he wants to give you the confidence of a secure future because of stuff that he's already done, he wants to give you hope. Well, today he wants to give you love. He wants to give you love. All right, your Heavenly Father wants to give you his love for Christmas. That's the second candle. That's what the second candle's about. It's about the love of God that wrapped up in that little baby was the most profound expression of love possible. God wants to love you. God wants to give you his love. For the scripture, for that, we're going to use perhaps one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, and we'll use the verse after it. John three sixteen and 17. If you can see it, read it out loud with me, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world so that as we put our faith in him, as we believe, as we surrender our trust to him, as we personally encounter and come and lay everything else aside and say, I'm fully trusting in you for my salvation, fully trusting in you for the forgiveness of my sins, that we have eternal life, that we have it, that that the Bible says right here that God didn't send his son Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, although he could have, right? I mean, he came and he, he came and he was perfect, perfect righteousness. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death. And he could have come. He could have come to judge us, but the Bible says that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, what does it say, through him might be saved. He came for rescue. He came to rescue us. And look at the beginning of it that the, the essential motivation of God for doing any of this was what? His love. We have got to get a hold of this. That the essential motivation of God the Father for sending his son Jesus Christ is that he loves us. He loves us. God loves you. 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 Don't argue back. Don't thank you. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. God loves you. Yeah. God loves you. God loves you. The Father loves you. Some of you right now fighting with a whole big list of reasons why God shouldn't love you. Too bad. Some of you are going through a whole list of stuff you were up to this very week that causes you to say, God should not love me. Well, you got a problem because God loves you. God loves you. What are we talking about? I mean, there are a lot of different ways that we could define the love of God. There are a lot of good people who have said a lot of good things, and you yourself have ways of expressing what it is we mean when we talk about the love of God. For the purposes of today, I'm going to give you my definition. You ready? Let's read it together. The love of God is the unconditional delight God takes in us that is greater than our capacity to undo. (laughs) the unconditional delight God takes delight in you the Bible says in the book of Zephaniah that he rejoices over his people with singing can you picture that? the God of the universe over us with singing he delights in us it's an unconditional delight it, it doesn't change by what we do or the conditions of the world or the universe, I suppose. It's an unconditional delight. God takes delight in his people. God loves us. He takes, you know what love is? You take delight in the people you love, right? I got to tell you what, this morning, I was in my office a little after eight o'clock, I'm kind of just kind of going through things and praying. I saw Karen's car pull up. And I went, huh. <laughs> I don't want to, uh. I saw her. I saw her car. Her little 2006 Pontiac vibe. Not only do they not make vibes anymore, they don't even make Pontiacs anymore, Right? <laughs> and, she, and she gave me a vibe thank you very much I just took delight I just had that impulse of delight that's part of love isn't it it's just impulse of delight and, and God loves us he has unconditional delight in us unconditional delight that is greater than our capacity To undo. Catch this. This is going to sound a little heretical to some of you. You cannot sin your way out of the love of God. What? That isn't right, is it? Now, I'm not condoning sin, of course. But I'm saying, you can't sin hard enough and fast enough to make God stop loving you. You don't have it. You can't do it. And you might be saying, well, that's not fair. God should just love the people who are doing good, right? What did the Bible say? For God so loved the what? For God so loved the church? So God so loved Israel? So for God so loved the good? God so loved the world. Even people that spend their lives rejecting him, rebelling against him. God loves them. God loves them. God loves us. It's unconditional, and we can't undo it. When you think about love, you have the lover, the one giving the love, and you have the beloved, right? The one upon whom the love is being projected. And the beloved always has the choice what to do, right? You can receive it. You can reject it. But the beloved does not have the choice as to whether or not the lover loves them. You don't get a vote. You don't get a vote. And it may not even make sense to you why God loves you. I think people, when they get to know Karen and me well enough, they go, Now, why is she with him again? <laughs> Because when it comes to who loves you, you don't get to vote. You don't get to say, oh, no, you don't love me. Oh, yes, I do. You don't get to vote. God loves you. Does that mean that everybody is saved so it doesn't matter what we do next? No, wait. For God so loved the world, delights in every human, that whoever what was that lesson? Believes in him, whoever has faith will not perish, but has everlasting life. And the flip side of that is, whoever does not believe will perish. But God loves them. God loves them. Did you ever love somebody who was living a stupid life? Who knows what I mean? Man. And you go, how do, they, how do they keep doing that, right? And why do I keep loving them anyway? Now, the truth is, as humans, at some point, our love tank runs out, doesn't it? It's okay to say it. Yeah, I just stopped loving them. I just couldn't anymore. But don't project that on God. <laughs> We're finite, right? God's un- unconditional delight for us cannot be broken. That is his decision. He has made it, and he has proclaimed it again and again and again in both Testaments. Some of you maybe think, well, you know, God's all lovey-dovey in the New Testament. What about that God of the Old Testament, right? we got angry God. we got happy God, right? What's up with that? Same God, not a modicum of change, The covenant changed. The conditions of the covenant changed. Good news for we Gentiles because the door was opened up to us. I love this verse in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament is just filled with references to the love of God for us, right? For the love of God for Israel. It was his love. I love this one. The Lord did not, he's talking to, to to Israel. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. I mean, you read that Old Testament, right? You go, why did he pick these guys, right? Like we'd have done any better. It's because he loved them. And you don't get a vote. He loved them. That's what God wants to give us for Christmas, in addition to the hope. He wants to give us his love, his love. It's love. Man, it's love. It's love. And uh, I need to tell you something about the size of God's love. I think it's important because some of you are pretty sure that you're bigger than the love of God. Here's how I mean that. You're pretty sure that you can sin your way out of it and have you're pretty sure that you have messed up so much that God couldn't possibly love you anymore. It kind of makes you bigger than God, doesn't it? Because he's deciding that he loves everybody. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Toward the back of your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to see how Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. This is such a powerful prayer here. Ephesians chapter three. We'll start in verse 14. Paul's talking, he's talking to the Ephesians, the believers in Ephesus. For this reason I kneel before the Father. Stop. Where else does he say that? (laughs) Exactly. This is a big prayer, right? He is making a point to say, When I pray this, I kneel down before God. This is a huge prayer. This is a huge prayer. I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Here's what He prays: I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, are you ready? may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, man. He says this is a hard prayer. That is that the love breaks through, that you somehow become aware of how much God loves you and what that means. And when that happens, you... You live up to a measure of fullness. That's what he said, right? It's a big love. And he says, I'm praying this. I pray this so hard that I get down on my knees and pray that. Yesterday, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I was walking around my property. I don't know if you noticed, but it snowed. Such a blessing to have our, our little farm. And we have a place where my son Brian and some Boy Scouts put up a cross following a E412 kids had done it earlier, but anyway, that's kind of a longer story. But there's a cross on my property in the woods, and the snow was falling. It doesn't get any better than that. It's just getting dark. It's just getting dark. And I was thinking about this, and I knelt down before that cross. And I said, God, let him see your love. God, let him see how wide, how high, how deep. Your love for them is. God just let them get a glimpse of your love. It changes everything. It changes everything. What are we even talking about when we talk about this? I mean, what is the love of God? What is the experience of the love of God? I think you experience I think you experience a sense of his safety. When you, when you encounter the love of God, you experience safety. We live in a dangerous world, yes. We've got to walk through it. There's nothing we can do about that. But you experience a safety. When you encounter the love of God, you feel safe. When you encounter the love of God, um, you know, there's so many different ways to answer this, but you, you just feel power. You feel power. I've noticed something about our, our prayers for healing lately. This is a new revelation for me. Is that over the last six to eight months, I've noticed that when we pray for healing for somebody, and I've been a recipient of this myself and have been healed of something, that when we pray for healing for some, someone, when we pray the love of the Father on them as an expression of healing, I've noticed that our incidence of actual recorded healing are substantially higher than when we just pray, God, would you come and heal them? God in the name of Jesus, would you God we rebuke Satan? You know, there are a lot of different ways to pray for healing. I'm I'm okay with that. But I think what we're meant to do here at this vineyard is to pray for a flow of the love of the Father on them. We'll see more healing than we can imagine. That that day's coming. You'll feel you'll feel power. But I think among the many things that you can experience when you're encountering the love of God is you'll feel this. It's so important. You'll feel belonging. You'll feel a sense of belonging. I'm home. I belong here, right? I just belong here. When you just look at this, and even this prayer, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. You feel like "I'm, I'm with my people. I, you know, I think there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people living today who don't feel like they belong. They feel out of place. Wherever they go, they feel like they're extra. Wherever they go, they feel kind of like an imposter. If these people really knew who I was, I wouldn't be able to be here. Wherever they go, they go to work. Some family. I've never really felt like I belonged in my family. My family's weird, not like me. And, and not a sense of belonging. When you experience the love of the Father, you belong. There you are. There's my sister. There's my sister. When the young adult group gathers in our house on Friday nights, I go, Well, here come my kids. It's belonging. That's when you're experiencing. And so many other things that we could say. So many other things that we could say. How do I experience the Father's love? already made it plain the father loves you what do you do then to respond to that to experience the father's love right because he loves you remember there's the lover and the beloved you can the lover is going to love you no matter what what do you do then to experience regularly the father's love first of all you should read about it Hundreds upon hundreds of times in the Bible God says that he loves you Read that, embrace it, bring it in There's so many other good books Brennan Manning, Henry Nowen, holy smokes Wayne Jacobson, he loves you There are so many great books That just talk about how much the Father loves you Read about it, embrace it, internalize it Also sing about it Man, when we, we sing about God's love here, yes or no We're about to sing about it. Sing about the Father's love. Just let there be a release from your heart that you just sing about it. You sing it back to him, okay, and you'll experience it. Pray about it. When you pray, say, Father, I'm ready to experience your love. You know, I'm not done. I've been following God for a long time. I've encountered his love in a lot of different ways. I'm not done. I always want more of God's love. Good news, he's infinite, so there's always more to get. And I can get all of God's love from God in my walk with him and not take any of yours. Did you know that? Some people will say, well, I've already asked him. I've been there already. Go again for crying out loud he's infinite, right? You can't exhaust the supply of the love of God. Just go again. I'm ready for your love, Lord. I'm ready for that. And then also just just, uh, hang around with people who talk about the love of God, who know the love of God. Get into those home groups. Get into those situations where you're just with people who who know the love of God. It's hard not to go after it when you're hanging around with those people, right? All right. So I asked the Lord, what do I really after? I mean, I can give them my list my list from my head about how to experience the love of God. And I asked the Lord, what should I really tell them about how to experience the love of God? Here's the word that I got back from the Lord. The word I got back from the Lord was, Tell him the house comes second. Tell him the house comes second. I know. I had the same reaction you're giving me right now. And as I unpack that with the Lord in prayer, I was just brought to the recollection, the understanding, that up until the big sexual revolution of our age, you know, it was the, the vast, huge majority of marriages went like this. You got married, and then you moved in together. You got married, and then you moved in together. That the house came second. The house came second. Now, I understand that is not entirely true today. I understand. But this is what the Lord was showing me. The house came second. That there was love, and there was the establishment of the covenant of love, and then the house came second. The house came second, right? And it only came because there was already the establishment of the covenant of love, right? Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go there to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. That's the house. People come to the Lord and they say, I want to go to heaven when I die. Well, duh, who wants to go to hell, right? I want to go to heaven when I die. I want the house. I want the house. I want the house. What do I have to do to get the house? Well, you've got to accept Jesus. That's it? Okay, I accept Jesus. There we go. Do I have the house? What do I got to do? Well, you've sinned against God, and He's holy, and that has, to be, that has to be reconciled. So if you believe on Jesus Christ and what He did for you on the cross, those sins are washed away, your record is expunged, and you're going to get into heaven. That is absolutely true, but it's not what establishes the covenant. The covenant is a covenant of love. The Father loves you. He's the lover. He's pouring out his love. Here's when you get the house. You get the house when you love him back. And you just say, I receive your love. I'm so grateful. And of course, I need your son Jesus Christ to pay for my sins. But I don't respond to you out of a legal loophole how I can sneak into the house you don't want to be that person in heaven. C.S. Lewis said, why on earth would someone who, who, who tried, spent their life trying to escape the company of God, why on earth would that person want to spend eternity in heaven? Right? You don't want to be the person in the house who got in by a loophole, who snuck in some other door than the front door. God's making a place for you at his table. God isn't making a little servant's quarters for you so that, yeah, I shouldn't have let you in, but you're in because you found the Jesus loophole. He's making a place for you at the table. Why? Because he loves you. But the house comes second after the love. The whole motivation of salvation in the New Testament is about the love of God. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You ready for the love of the Father? Bow your heads, open your hearts. Love of the Father, come. Love of the Father, come. We need this belonging. We need this power. We need this safety. We need this sense of relationship with you. We need, O Lord... We need the assurance of our salvation based on the experience of your love. We come to you because you loved us. You loved us so much that you gave your Son that whoever believes, so we believe because you love. We say we want to love you back. We're not entirely sure what that means. But Lord, as you come, I know that we it it's automatically comes from, from our hearts to love you back. So I pray, Father, that you will just lift every believer out of the legality of their salvation into the covenant of love, into the Father's love, just flow on this house. And as your love comes, that you would touch, that you would encourage, that you would bless, that you would deliver, that you would heal in the context of the flow of your love in this house. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand, church. Let's worship the Lord. Let's sing about His love you want to come close come close if we have some prayer ministry people along the sides you want to receive prayer come let's just invite the love of the father to move among us Hallelujah.